the rule of Pisistratus and the Alcmeonidae. The Athenians were aggrieved and restless, and ready to welcome almost any change. This was just the time for a crafty man to step in, win favor, and become tyrant. There was a man ready to do this. His name was Pisistratus. He was popular because of his generosity, and because of his having won victories in the Olympian chariot races. He pretended to be perfectly satisfied with Solon's laws, and to care for nothing but the good of his country. The people believed him, and when he drove into the marketplace one day, smeared with blood, they were ready to accept his story that his enemies had almost killed him, because he was so devoted to the happiness of the people. The marketplace was full of the poorest men, the ones to whom Pisistratus claimed to be a special friend. Solon, too, was there, and he cried out, Pisistratus, you have done this to impose upon your countrymen. Nevertheless, the people believed the deceiver, and were ready to fall in with a proposal, made by a man whom he had engaged beforehand, that their abused friend should have a bodyguard of fifty men armed with clubs. Little by little, the number was increased. The many wished it, and the nobles did not dare to oppose them too strongly. After a while, the guard had come to consist of four hundred strong men. Then Pisistratus seized the Acropolis. He became tyrant, and Athens was no longer free. Solon had warned the Athenians again and again, but they had not heeded him. At last, he laid his shield and sword down outside his door and closed it, saying, I have done all in my power to defend my country and its laws. Pisistratus now felt himself master of Athens. How will he treat Solon, the people questioned. They soon learned that he had no idea of doing him any harm. On the contrary, he often asked his advice in public matters. And Solon was generous and patriotic enough never to refuse it if he thought it would be of benefit to the state. Pisistratus banished the Alcmeonidae, but in a little while he himself was driven away. He succeeded in returning, and a wonderful return it was. It took place on a festival day, when the streets were full of people watching the processions in honor of the gods. One procession after another had passed, when suddenly the loud voices of heralds were heard, crying, Ye men of Athens, receive and welcome Pisistratus. Athene honors him above all other men, and now brings him back into her own Acropolis. A brilliant escort followed, and then a splendid chariot rolled along, wherein sat a tall, handsome woman, dressed in a full suit of armor, with shield and spear, and looking much as the Greeks fancied Athene to look. Beside the chariot rode the tyrant. The people gazed and gazed. It is the goddess herself, some of them whispered in awe. Others saw that it was only a trick. But the gates of the Acropolis were thrown open, and Pisistratus was again tyrant of Athens. Once more he was driven from the city, and this time he returned by force of arms. At last he was secure in his position, and he held it until his death eighteen years later. Of course, the rule did not rightfully belong to Pisistratus, but no one could deny that he made good use of it. It is true that he kept the highest offices for members of his own clan, but he was kind to the poor farmers and gave them cattle and seeds and farming tools. He beautified the city with magnificent temples. He built a massive aqueduct to bring down water from the mountains, and he laid out a delightful garden on the bank of a river near the city. 
Here were stately buildings and fountains and pleasant walks in shady groves. Here it was that the young men of Athens used to come for military exercises. He built roads for different parts of the country. They all started from an altar in Athens, and there tablets were kept on which the distances to the various places were written. The roads themselves were made much more agreeable for travelers, for milestones were put up, not plain stones, but wooden posts whose tops were carved into heads of Hermes, the god to whom men who were about to go on a journey prayed for protection. Often some amusing saying was cut on the post. Of course, Pisistratus did not forget Athene. There is an old story that she and Poseidon once vied with each other to see which could bestow the more valuable gift upon the city. Poseidon gave a spring of salt water, and Athene gave an olive tree. It was decided that her gift was the more valuable. Her name was given to the city, and she was always held in the highest reverence. Pisistratus built a temple for her worship, and every year he held a brilliant festival in her honor. The early Greeks believed that the image of a goddess was in some degree the goddess herself, and they felt sure that Athene was delighted when at this festival they formed an imposing procession and carried to the temple a dazzling new robe to put upon her statue. All those things vanished long ago, and however much they may have pleased the Athenians, they make little difference to us. Pisistratus is said to have done one deed, however, for which we may feel grateful, even after twenty-four hundred years have passed. He is said to have asked all the people who knew the works of Homer and of Hesiod to meet together in Athens and compare the poems as they had been used to recite them. The version that was decided to be the best was carefully put into writing, and this is how it came about that we can read the thoughts of these two great writers in almost the same words in which the early Greeks read them. Pisistratus was not satisfied with doing honor to dead poets. He invited the best poets then living to make their homes in Athens, and he saw to it that they should live in comfort.